the latest instalment of the Invivo podcast. My name is Lucy Ellis Tate and I'm the executive editor for Invivo. I'm joined in this episode by Daniel Lafaso, CEO of Digital Elevator. This and all of our other podcasts are available on the Sightline channel on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, TuneIn and Spotify. Digital Elevator helps emerging biotech companies with full circle marketing campaigns. In this episode of the Invivo podcast, Daniel and I discuss the most common mistakes that biotech companies make when trying to build their brand, how to connect with various audiences, and also key trends the biotech industry should keep track of in digital marketing. Uh, Hi, Dan. Uh, Thanks for joining me today. It's really good to talk to you. If you could start perhaps with a bit of an introduction about yourself and maybe a brief overview of what Digital Elevator is and what you do uh, and how you work with the biotech uh, companies. My name is Daniel Lafaso. I'm the founder of Digital Elevator and, and CEO. We are a full service marketing agency that specializes in emerging biotech companies or companies that maybe are new to marketing. And we collaborate with biotech founders, marketing teams. And what we do is orchestrate lead generation, website development, brand recognition, and digital marketing campaigns. So, within your experience, then, how has the industry changed in the time that you've been working with biotech? I think the most significant thing, and, and I'll of course try to relate this to to the marketing sphere, is the investors are much more cautious now than they were previously about the biotechs that they fund or get involved with. So previously, I think there are a lot more opportunities for funding and there's a lot more money floating around. And those opportunities have definitely become more scarce and that has led to more competition for funding within the space, which relates back to marketing and, and kind of what we do and in, in the conversations that we're having with some of these biotechs is, is, hey, you need to establish some sort of marketing plan and brand awareness plan and create strategies, because if you don't, you might just go away completely. I mean, I've literally had conversations recently where a biotech was like, hey, if we don't get funding from this marketing campaign that we want to do, then we might not make it another six months. And I mean, that's a lot of stress for a marketing company, but I mean, more stress for a biotech. So uh, I think that the biotechs that are interesting in establishing funding opportunities are probably aware of this. If if maybe they're looking for another round or their first round Yeah, definitely. And what about the types of companies that you're seeing today? mix of of labs and and the companies that are working with big pharma partly as well as just a lot of kind of cutting edge innovative we i mean we see almost every company we talk to does something completely different which is which is interesting so i mean sometimes it's an oncology company that's that's trying to do develop something in that space and other times it's a a uh, CDMO type lab and kind of like everything in between. So some of them are looking to develop drugs and other ones actually are providing services. So it's kind of a mix of everything. And you mentioned there about a a company that's sort of saying we might last to six months unless we get this next round and how important that is. But how do you actually sort of define brand awareness then? And why is it important when you're sort of considering growth strategy? Yeah, I think brand awareness is kind of a funny buzzword that people throw around and 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 nobody really understands. And I think 
what it is, it's just, it's really just a plan to get in front of the people that you want to talk to. So it's not just this general plan to, to get featured in industry publications, but it's more of this, this strategy, if you will, as I mean, especially as it, it relates to investors of, of understanding the types of investors they are, the companies that they invest in, and then the platforms they hang out on, and then going after it like that. So I think a lot of the investors, they're really concerned about the leadership team, the novelty of, of the science, the track records of, of the team members in, ter in terms of the kinds of companies they fund. And, you know, if you're talking about those things, getting interviews on media publications or, or putting out interesting press about how cutting edge your science is, then that can form some kind of brand awareness strategy where, you know, you have these big platforms that you're using bigger platforms and maybe your website alone. And you're actually targeting those people with the kind of messages that you've identified previously that they might be. What are some of the um, like most common errors that you see companies making? Uh, it must be difficult in your job um, to, to see some of those that you've seen time and time again. I think that lack of a strategy is probably the most common error. So kind of what I just touched on is, is when we start marketing strategies in general, or if this concerns a an investor type strategy, we start with kind of that buyer persona. It's like, okay, well, who are we talking to and why? And how can we cater to that buyer persona? So, you know, I think there, there's, there's two ways to skin it here. I mean, I'll, I'll probably lean more towards the the one that the, the, the biotech that's trying to to attract investors. And what they need to understand is that, you know, some investors are going to come in for different stages. They're going to look for different kinds of investment opportunities. And they need to understand that about them uh, from a marketing perspective, you know. So, I mean, for one, for example, one one fairly prominent biotech investor, a, a nonprofit, they say that they are kind of like the first money in after your friends and family. So that, that's their stage. Whereas, you know, maybe another investor would be in much, much farther down the road, maybe when you're in, you're in phase two trials or something like that and, and more proven concepts going on. So when you're doing your marketing and, and, and trying not to make these mistakes of just blanketly spending money on marketing, just because you think you need more exposure, you should really know who you're talking to. So I think a lot of people overlook that. It's probably one of the most common errors we see. It's just no strategy at all. It's just, hey, I think we need this, this, and this. And, you know, they often will talk to companies that don't help. They don't consult. You know, they don't really listen. Like sometimes companies we talk to, I'm like, I don't think you should do any of that. What you think you need from what I'm hearing, I think you need X, Y, Z, you know, and, and I think that, that that's helpful for them to, to, to have a collaborative relationship with, with a vendor or if it's somebody in-house or whatnot uh, to help them not waste money, not waste time, resources, et cetera. Are there different things that companies at different stages need to specifically think about? So perhaps a company coming out of stealth mode that's just getting into the clinic or one that's sort of a bit more established. What are the differences there? Yeah, when the companies that come out of stealth mode, we generally try to emphasize that they have sort of cutting edge or really nice, attractive website with lots of details. And, and, and amongst those things, we try to recommend that the pages of that website focus on leadership, 
uh, scientific endeavors, clinical trials, pipeline, and, and press release type thing. I think that's where a lot of the focus should go if you're emerging because you don't have a lot of exposure yet. And then once you get that foundation of the website, then you can start thinking about public relations. And then the reason I kind of recommend that order is because the website is really going to be the place that has more details. So, you know, say your company gets featured on uh, within a within a, a publication and, you know, that that publication is this very specific angle or conversation that you're having or that you're featured for or mentioned in. Whereas if somebody's interested and they hear about you there, they come back to your website and they can get more details, you know, and, and that doesn't mean that every page on your website needs to cater to to everybody, you know, maybe sometimes investors aren't particularly science savvy. So they might skim over that kind of information on, on your technology or, or your science page. However, they will want to take away kind of the size of the market, uh, your team, how effective it is, you know, how big is the solution to the problem, you know, how much money is, is at the end of the day if, if they do fund this thing. And then on the other side, if, if they're a bit more established, I do recommend some of those same things. You know, I've, I've talked to companies that are extremely well-funded, but still kind of in that emerging phase, if you will, I'm doing air quotes here <laughs> that you can't see. Um, they're emerging, but I think at that stage, it's it's more of a public relations push. I think we'll come to that kind of digital marketing, the website, those kind of techniques a bit more in a moment. But is there anything that's changed in the way that biotech should tell their stories? I think it's been, I think it's the same. I think the investors still want to understand the risk involved in the founders. And I think that's a track record thing. And I think that the the websites are still going to be in a platform. I think one of the main things that changes is websites are, are definitely can be much more engaging with animation, 3D animation, video, you know, the scientific illustrations versus, versus uh, previously, I think the capabilities of of graphic designers and those illustration teams has evolved a lot and and the stuff that's being created there is pretty cool but for the most part it's it's you know the squeaky wheel is going to get the grease thinking about kind of techniques and technologies then um sort of things that you can create or strategy wise what are some of the innovative sort of digital marketing techniques that you're working with i think it's that those 3d and and 2d medical illustrations and or animations and you know it's it's not for everybody they are on the more expensive side to for that kind of caliber of graphic design but you know if we we build websites that for example had a, a video of the drug within the stomach going through the stomach and getting broken down and and and, a, and part of the graphic showed how it was interacting within the body at the same time and if you're coming to that website, perhaps as an investor, and you're just trying to pull away information quickly to see if this is a company that you want to look into a bit more, and you look at these graphics or illustrations, and they look really innovative, and they look cutting edge, it's almost like a subconscious cue to say, wow, these guys are a bit more trustworthy, and, and this is maybe something that I want to look into more. Plus, they can extrapolate the information from the website without reading a bunch of clinical trials. You know, they can get to that later if they want to, if they're really interested, but generally people in all markets, are they're skimming websites. So if you have kind of that cutting edge graphic design and animation, I think those are some of the, the techniques that are really good. The, the approaches change and things like that, but um, I really like to recommend the 
the illustration and, and kind of like the use of the, the scientific illustrators for websites as it concerns websites. And you can even use it in conferences and other other uh, engagements as well. You mentioned there sort of uh, if they have budget available for that kind of thing. Biotech startups often have limited budgets, but how can companies maximize the sort of return on investment in digital marketing? I usually start with the plan. You know, I think if you nail down the plan ahead of time, you nail down your buyer persona, who am I talking to and why, then you'll really be able to unpack what kind of marketing you need to do and what kind that you don't need to do. I think in the perfect world, everybody would do everything. You know, they would do a great website, they would do public relations, they would do SEO, they would do pay-per-click, they would do social media. The reality is that with a limited budget, you can't do all of those things well. You could probably do them mediocre if you try to do them all. But I think the plan really allows you to hone in on whether or not you invest in all those different digital marketing strategies. So if you have a limited budget, I think it pays to do a couple of things really well rather than try to do a bunch. I would generally focus that in on the website and, and maybe PR. You know, this is assuming uh, the company wants to partner or uh, get acquired or merge or, or, you know, or maybe commercialize if they're going to go that longer route. Um, if the company actually has a product to sell, which, which um, is not, you know, too many biotechs, but I mean, some of these, some of these companies we talked to are, are serving other pharma companies and stuff like that. Then, you know, maybe the, the conversation goes more to lead generation rather than uh, public relations. And then, you know, we could just focus on one thing, whether that's just pay-per-click running Google ads, or if they're more established, we can do uh, search engine. And then, you know, we can also run social ads because the things that work quickly can often help in terms of that, that ROI question. And, you know, whatever we do, we try to run some kind of ROI analysis what what is it you know what does it cost to get a customer what is your average client deal and how much does it cost to run ads and and then we try to do some math there and say okay this this platform makes sense for you just based on xyz and thinking about kind of different audiences then i was going to ask you about kind of how you make your brand relevant geographically to different audiences but what about expanding that as well to You've mentioned there whether you're looking for a partner or you're looking for investment or you're looking for M&A. How do you sort of make yourself connect to different audiences? Yeah, I think that's that's a tough part, right? It's you have perhaps more than one buyer persona. We, you know, we say target your buyer persona, but maybe you have more than one. And you may, maybe you're looking to hire people and you need to attract employees on one side or maybe you're, you're you, you know, you're looking for an investor or or maybe you're just looking for a different kind of partnership, some strategic advisor or something. So, you know, there's three potential buyer personas that you have to consider and you really need to triage, you know, which one's the most important and let's focus on that one first. So if it's, if it's the investor one, then, then you're going to have to define who that ideal investor is and understand kind of the buyer persona of the investor. If If it's more of an employee thing, it's like, okay, how do we make this website look really, you know, like a great place to work, this company that's cutting edge or or what are the things that somebody's looking at? So, I mean, that, and that comes with different pages of the website uh, that, that might appeal to different people. So there's all these layers that, you know, maybe, I mean, maybe the, the, the biotech founder or, or team executive team has to consider, or, you know, they need to have a, 
a relationship with 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 a with a vendor or or employee marketing person internally who can help them kind of prioritize things and, and unpack them. Uh, in terms of different geographies, I think that just depends on how wide you're, you're looking. I mean, I think, I mean, I had a conversation recently and they're like, oh, we just want to, we just want to have an impact in this one very defined state. And that can be difficult with marketing. You know, if, if you're getting, if you're getting a lot of interest and exposure th through media publications, media publications are national or international. And it's not, you can't just say, Hey, I just want to be featured in, in this, this one region. So in terms of geographies, um, you know, the, that's kind of the beauty of branding and, and marketing is that it's, it often spans kind of nationally in terms of like, if you're, if you're going to be ranking with, with, with SEO, then it would be, it would be almost national. You know, if you're, if you're doing pay-per-click or that kind of thing, if you're running ads, then you can go more geographically specific and run ads to certain geo areas. I think that's really interesting to think about kind of the span of the audience there. On your experience there, the lessons that you've kind of learned, what's one bit of advice that you'd give to a startup um, in the current environment we find ourselves in 2023? Yeah, I think um, there's a lot of competition right now and you can't just base the success or, or you know, look at the future of your company in terms of the novelty of your science alone. And I think startups, they need to understand that in almost any other industry, it's recommended eight, 10% of your, your budget goes to marketing. And I think, and for some reason in biotech, it, it's almost never on the table marketing at all. It's just, let's focus on science, 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 people, science. And the marketing is really the only thing that's going to allow the novelty of your science to shine. And so, you know, you work so hard on creating innovative products or services or, or drugs. And if nobody hears about it, then you might not last very long. You know, I think 90% um, of biotechs, startup biotechs fail. And if they're not out there understanding that they have to be proactive about marketing, then, you know, that they, they might become one of those statistics. So that's probably one of the main, that's probably the main piece of advice I'd give, you know, just consider marketing, have a plan. It doesn't have, you know, you don't, you don't have to be the greatest marketing company in the world, but you just need to know what the focus is and, and, and chip away and, and then, you know, dedicate some kind of budget to it just so, you know, you can move on to that next step or get that next round of funding. And I, and I think a lot of companies look at it too. It's like, well, we have, we have funds for the next two years. We're fine. It's like, okay, well, what happens after that? You know, you know, you might, you might need to be in clinical trials for a long time. You know, it, it takes what, like 10, 12 years to commercialize a drug potentially. And, um, if you don't have money to, to continue to go and then then all that work that you did was, was for not and, and you know marketing doesn't guarantee that you'll reach your goal of getting acquired or commercialized but it, it certainly strengthens it especially with the competition right now especially with the lack of funds that are that are being shared currently so that's that's um kind of many pieces of advice that are kind of <laughs> roll into one piece of advice finally then sort of looking ahead into 2024 um there's many people making many predictions about how the market might change, but what kind of uh, key trends are you watching? 
I'm definitely looking at the investment market because I, I think that's so tied to emerging biotechs and seeing how they're reacting, looking at what companies they're investing in and why, as well as the types of partnerships or acquisitions Big Pharma is making and and how maybe biotechs are going towards IPOs or not. Um, I think IPOs have been a, a funding tool for a lot of biotechs, even if they had literally nothing to sell. Just, it's just a funding tool, and, and I'm, I'm interested to see where that goes. But I think it'll be a while in terms of how that investment market plays out over the next couple of years. I mean, the, the, there are companies that are getting funded, and I just think it, it, it really depends on the strength of their, their science, their team, and, and of course, the marketing that they're doing. So, I mean, I think um, the gene therapy, the, the AI in the industry is really exciting. And that's something to look at as well. I mean, just from in terms of the clients that we're looking at and working with, I think those things are interesting. And then maybe the regulatory changes that are going on within that, um, that are trying to keep up with the rapid pace of, of the innovation in the industry. So all those things kind of translate back to communication and messaging and, and those things that we consider when, when we talk to clients and make recommendations as well. In a couple of sentences, you managed to summarize some pretty big changes that are going on in the industry <laughs> um, and how we think about those. Um, it's been really nice to talk to you, Dan. Thank you so much for your time today and uh, hopefully speak to you again soon. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm.